As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's up and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast here on Tuesday, October 12th. Michael Beller here with you. It's Tuesday, that means it is Beat Writer Day on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to be checking in with three more of our athletic beat writers around the league. And we start things off in Cleveland and Zach Jackson. Zach, thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. No problem, glad to be here. Uh, let's dive. Let's dive right in with this team. Odell Beckham. I want to start with him, Zach, because it's been just sort of a ghost town of a season for Odell. Nine catches, nineteen targets, one hundred twenty-four yards, no touchdowns in three games. Had a crucial drop on a fourth down in the loss to the Chargers over the last two weeks without Jarvis Landry. Just four catches for forty-seven yards. It feels like he's something of an afterthought in this offense. Is that the right feeling to have about him? I I, I don't know how else you would say it, Michael. Um... You know, knowing we were going to talk about this, I debated. Is afterthought the right word? I, I don't know. But I can tell you the quarterback often doesn't look at him. Um, they have struggled to get him the ball. And the other day on fourth and two, he was wide open on a perfect route. Great design and didn't catch the ball in the middle of the field. Uh, he wasn't in on the next draft. That's the kind of thing that's going to make your head coach and play caller not dial it up for you again. It's going to make the quarterback who often doesn't see you. <laughs> Hesitant to go your way again. Um, as far as fantasy, I'm not sure that I would be starting him. Um, I, I just there's just the Browns spread the ball around so well, and have Jarvis coming back. I, I don't think it will be this week, but but his window is open. It, it's it's a possibility. But regardless, I just I don't see a way to where Odell is going to be an eight target, five catch guy. Uh, and if he is, I think it's going to be one game and, and not multiple. Right now, he is not a top three option in this offense, and it's debatable if he's a top five option in this offense. And, I mean, that's just crazy. Obviously, there was so much excitement when uh, when he, when he the Browns made the trade with the Giants to get Odell Beckham and just hasn't clicked for him in Cleveland the way that it had previously in New York. And, and speaking of that, I mean, we're hearing the, the trade rumors crop up. Obviously, it's very hard to make a trade in the middle of an NFL season, even harder for a guy with a contract like Odell's. But is that something you could see happening in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, but I wonder what his value is because, to me, it's it's almost non-existent, right? Yeah. He, 
he, he makes $16 million. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and if the Browns are ready, ready to move, you have to wonder why, although the tape would show you why. Um, you know, that's the first bad drop that he's had. But as you mentioned, it's only been 19 targets. Uh, he, they're just not getting him the ball. Whether they're missing him or not looking his way, and and he was on the left on the, the key play and one of the key plays in the game, a second and ten late in the game, and, and they were looking right all the way. Um, he, like I said, he just in the past game, Kareem Hunt and David Njoku have passed him by, and and Donovan Peoples Jones was the target monster in the last game. All right, let's talk about another one of those receivers. We mentioned him already a little bit, Jarvis Landry. Uh, on IR, you say maybe, maybe even you said probably not this week. If it's not this week, is it next week for him? And then if, does he step right back into the role that he previously inhabited as you know, this team's number one wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things at play, obviously, when you have a veteran guy and a veteran team. You're not going to rush him back, right? Uh, when he comes back, he is going to be the number one receiver. He is going to be the guy they go to on third down, go to when they need a play. But this week would only be four weeks since the injury, and, and that's a fair timetable, right? He's missed three games. He was hurt on the, on the second snap of week two. But they play on next Thursday as well, Michael. So, you know, two games in the next nine days. Um, do, do you wait till next Thursday? Could, could he play twice in five days if he plays this week? Obviously, I'm not on the training staff. I, I don't know. Um, you know, he has been around the team. He has been watching practice doing his trainer's workouts, and on Monday he was scheduled to kind of let it loose and run. But, you know, does that mean when they're back on the field Wednesday and Thursday that he'll be there? Or if he is there, you know, will it be with the intention of playing this Sunday? Because once he comes back to practice, they have 21 days to activate him. So from a fantasy standpoint, you would normally play Jarvis Landry, but looking at these next two games, and specifically this one against Arizona, I'm not sure I would count on him. Um, just because I think you're going to get to Friday or maybe even Saturday or Sunday morning and it's a 4 o'clock game and not know. And, and I just think the Browns have shown that they're going to err on the side of, of caution on this thing and the circumstances with a Thursday game you know, make that an even easier decision in my mind. Two sure things in this Cleveland offense for us in the fantasy world, and they're both in the backfield, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I want to ask you about Kareem Hunt because over the last three weeks, He's gotten plenty of opportunities, 17, 18, and 18 opportunities over the last three weeks. And by opportunities, I mean carries plus targets. Is this a pace he can stay at? Earlier in the season, the first two weeks of the year, he was down in the low double digits. If he's getting 17, 18 carries plus targets per game, I mean, forget about an easy fantasy starter. We're talking about a guy who could be a top 12 or 15 running back. Yeah, uh, can he? Sure. Will he? Probably not. But again, with, with questions in the receiving core, and, and just the circumstances of this team. I mean, you could make the case, certainly through four games, Kareem was number one or two for offensive MVP. Through five games and looking at what's ahead, he's going to have opportunities. There is a script, Michael. And I, I'm not sure any other – I know no other team has a, a Hunt and a Chubb, right? But I'm, I'm pretty sure no other team has a script to where they're, they're – lim- you know they're limited to a certain number of things, and I don't mean that to sound negative. They're they're charted in how they're going to be used. You know Nick's going to play the first two drives. Kareem's going to play the third drive. Kareem's going to play select passing downs, and the goal you know being to, to get to the fourth quarter with a lead. So I don't think it's designed for Kareem to be at 17, 20 opportunities, but it's certainly designed for him to be at ten and thirteen. And the way he's been running. 
and the way they use the screen game and the way they need him in the past game, you know, 15, 18, 21 plus is certainly in play. So, you know, if you think that the defense is really going to be banged up and be chasing all game this week against Arizona, yes, Kareem's going to be at, at, at 18, 20 touches. Um, yep. Yeah, he, he's just – he's so stinking good in the open field. <laughs> and, and he never gets tackled on his back. He always keeps plays alive. And that's why, like, cheap fantasy points in terms of end-of-half situations, in terms of third and 20, and, and he can get you 16 where most guys get you eight. Um, Kareem Hunt is really good at that. And we love these last three-week usages for him, but uh, he is still, what well, even if he's down in that 10 to 13 range, still a very easy guy to plug into your fantasy lineup. Really not someone you have to think about from week to week. Someone maybe who we're going to start thinking about a little bit is potentially David Njoku. I-, I love having you on this show, Zach, because you are also a fantasy guy. You do a great job covering the Browns, but you play fantasy as well. You know fantasy, so you know once we get beyond those first I don't know, like five or six tight ends. We're really just looking for a guy who's going to get chances and pop a touchdown every now and again. Can Njoku develop into that brand of tight end this season? Yeah, I mean, he would be a fantasy buy for me, Michael. And obviously on on Sunday afternoons, I'm not keeping up with everyone else, but his snap counts are up, his opportunities are up, and it's always been about consistency with him. You know, and some of it is he was always a young player and they're constantly – changing coaches and all of this stuff. And he would find a way to lose the coach's confidence. Well, finally, he's playing in the same system. He's playing for money. He's a free agent. And they trust him. And like I said, they're using him in the slot. They're using him out wide. And even though all three of their tight ends are interchangeable, and really all three have been used in the past game, he is by far the best athlete. He is by far the guy that's the biggest threat to catch a 15-yarder. And and the other day it was a 12-yarder turned into a 71-yarder. So you can't count on those, right? But in terms of Austin Hooper is probably the best bet to catch five or six passes for 30 to 40 yards. Njoku's the much better bet to catch two for 50 or more. All right, this Brown schedule just continues apace. We're talking about a team that just came off a game against the Chargers. They've already played the Chiefs this season. Here they are now, week six, a matchup with the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, a brutal first uh, six weeks of the season for the Browns. What are your early expectations for this week six matchup with the Cardinals? Well, it's Tuesday morning, so it's impossible to say. But (laughs) the top three corners of the Browns are all questionable on some level. Mm -hmm. The top two pass rushers on the Browns are questionable on some level. There's a possibility that the top two offensive tackles um, might not play there. So I guess they're questionable on some level. So I think the Browns are going to run the ball and use both backs and use the tight ends. Um, You know, deep sleeper wise, Donovan Peoples Jones finally got the targets last week and he produced Njoku, who's we already talked about, but I, I just see a shootout because I, I see a defense that already has questions that might be down some major, major personnel. And, and again, I, I don't want to either play doctor or coordinator, but when you play twice in five days and you have guys that have lingering things, right, and you're a team that wants to play into January, you have to make some decisions. So there is a chance that you're going to get these Arizona receivers against backup corners, from the Browns and you know there's a chance that this game turns into a wild shootout the weather's supposed to be perfect here in Cleveland again 
And, um, you know, I, even though the Browns want to run and want to control the ball, we, we've seen how, how it goes, right? Like they're trying to run mm-hmm. clock sometimes, and Nick Chubb takes off 61 yards. So, yeah, um, I'm circling the Arizona receivers earlier in the week, no doubt. Certainly something to keep our eye on all week, and we know you'll have your eye on it for us as well, Zach. That's Zach Jackson. You can find him on Twitter, at Akron Jackson. Browns fans, be sure to check out Civilized Barking, Zach's Browns podcast here at The Athletic, and you can also find him every Friday on this very feed, talking gambling with me and Vic Tafer. Zach, thanks again for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Talk to you soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving right along here on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, we go from Cleveland over to Denver and the Broncos. And joining us is our Broncos beat writer, Nick Kosmider. Nick, thanks for joining us today. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, some fun things to talk about with those Broncos team. I want to start with you in the backfield, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I would say, at least from the fantasy perspective through the first five weeks of the season, this backfield has been split generally in the way that we were expecting back in draft season, end August, beginning of September. Is there any reason to think that one guy might pull comfortably ahead of the other? Do you see this remaining as is for the rest of the season? How would you grade out this backfield uh, looking forward to the remainder of the year? Well, I think for now there's not any real sign that they're going to kind of um, give one back the lion's share of the carries. They've essentially been splitting kind of every other drive and, and it, there's no sign that that's going to stop. Now, I will say that if one guy does pull ahead, you know, maybe after midseason, it's going to be Javante Williams. You, you look at the yards per carry, and they're about equal uh, right now. But if you take away the Melvin Gordon 70-yard run in, in garbage time against the Giants in week one, uh, that number skews pretty heavily toward Javante Williams. Javante Williams, because of his ability to break tackles, we've seen it each of the last two weeks a 31-yard run where he carried Marlon Humphrey on his back for 20 yards. He had the 49-yard run in the first half against the Steelers uh, that that got all the way down to the two, um, just missed scoring a touchdown on that one. So I think you're starting to see more and more big play potential from him. They have to get him out a little bit of the habit of running east and west a little bit after he gets the ball. He's tending to kind of uh, have have a few more negative runs than they'd like to see, Uh, but his ability to break big ones is there. It's evident. And so I I think – he might start to tick a little bit ahead of Melvin Gordon, but if you're if you have you know one of these guys, I think you take it as it's still going to be split for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right now both of these guys are startable in most fantasy leagues, but it's 
clear to see that Javante Williams would be the guy who could really take this job and run with it. And it was something we were expecting back in draft season, that maybe he would follow the path of 2019 Miles Sanders, where second half of the season he took off as the starter. So certainly people who back Javante, hoping that that indeed is the case. We're also hoping to see Jerry Judy on the field sooner rather than later. We're not expecting that to be, you know, this week or next or anything, but can you give us an update on where Judy stands in his injury recovery? Yeah, the Broncos have been impressed with his recovery. Um, you know, teammates and coaches alike say that he, he's doing a great job. Um, you know, I was in Pittsburgh on Sunday, saw him warming up before that game with kind of the practice squad and inactive players. Um, you know, look good. No, no real noticeable limp. Now, as you mentioned, he's not going to play Sunday at home against the Raiders. Um, you know, he'd be eligible to come off IR and play against the Browns on, on that Thursday night game. Uh, on the 21st, I, I wouldn't expect to see that. I, I think that, um, you know, they would certainly give him kind of a, a full week. So the thing that you would probably target uh, for him would be that that October 31st home game against Washington. That's, you know, that's 19 days from now. Uh, so almost three more weeks. I think that could be a realistic target for Jerry Judy. Definitely a welcome addition back to fantasy teams once he is back on the field. We all remember just how good he was going in that uh, before the injury. So it would be nice to see him back out there alongside Cortland Sutton. Someone else we've been hoping for, I think a little bit more from, frankly, is Noah Fant. He, he's, yeah. he came into the season as that, yeah, obviously nowhere near the first tier of tight ends, and frankly not in the second tier of tight ends, but we had this big group of third-tier tight ends who we thought – you know, there's a couple of guys here who can maybe take a step forward, and step forward just represents a comfortable fantasy starter week in and week out. Noah Fant was definitely in that group. We've seen some flashes, but it hasn't quite happened for him where you feel totally comfortable with him as your fantasy starter. Is there any way that this Broncos team gets him going? Do they change things up? Do they want to change things up? How does Noah Fant's outlook look the rest of the way? Yeah, it's been kind of the constant question. You know, one of the big issues that they've had with Noah Fan, he, he has he has 21 receptions. So, I mean, that's a respectable number through through five games. It's not that he's not getting targets, um, but they're not getting him down the field. Um, he, he's not catching these balls up the seams like he did a lot uh, during his rookie year. That, that's been a real issue. And against the Steelers on Sunday, they used him a large amount of the time as sort of a, you know, a chip blocker on TJ Watt. So he was maybe leaking into the flat, after those, I, I mean, certainly he had some routes independent of his blocking responsibilities, um, you know, but it just did not seem like a high priority for them to, to get Noah Fant up, up the field. If I'm if I was a fantasy owner of Noah Fant, I, I, I'd be kind of cautious to start him until Jerry Judy gets back. I, I think what Judy does when he's on the field is his sort of, you know, route running ability, his his kind of ability to kind of stretch the de defense um that's where i think you're going to find some more opportunities for noah fan to get up the middle until jerry judy comes back it, it's it, there's not a lot of evidence that we've seen that would say hey noah fans due for an explosion um you know he, he's been a, he's been an end zone target has the two touchdowns this week but you know if you're a fantasy owner you can't afford the the three catches for 20 yards like he did against the steelers and and i don't see that changing probably until until judy gets back yeah, still in that group of tight ends where you start him, you feel okay with it, but really you're just crossing your fingers and hoping he finds the <laughs> yeah. end zone. We'll see if that ends up changing for him anytime soon. Let's talk about Cortland Sutton for a second here because it's been a boomer bust season for Cortland Sutton. When he has boomed, he has boomed. Back in week two, nine catches for 159, and then this game against the Steelers, seven for 120 and a touchdown. The other three games, one for 14, five for 37, three for 47. 
Is this, I mean, just the nature of the offense? Is it something scheme-wise that this is happening with Cortland Sutton? How do you explain the boomer? I mean, I guess it could also just be sort of, you know, that's how football goes sometimes. Is there any explanation for uh, Cortland Sutton's boomer bust nature so far this year? Yeah, I think there might be a couple of theories, although I don't have like a true answer for you. Obviously, that Sunday was his best game of the year. Not only did he have the seven catches for 120, uh, finally got in the end zone for the first time this year. Uh, what I chalk it up to most, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, is, is the recovery from ACL surgery. Um, he didn't look great in training camp in terms of, um, you know, just sort of being really fluid. I mean, he was out there. He was working really hard. He was still making tough catches in traffic. But we just haven't seen him separate a lot. Now, Vic Fangio, he, he kind of took a subtle dig at, at Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator, um, after the game Sunday when he said the reason that the offense got going uh, in the second half is because we finally started working the outsides. And, and that was sort of his way of saying, listen, Cortland Sutton is our best wide receiver, bar none, right now on the field. We have got to get him the ball more fre- frequently, get him on the edge, allow him to make plays. Um, allow him to use his big body to to shield defensive backs and make plays down the field. You saw it with the 39-yard touchdown. They almost hit him for another touchdown uh, on the final drive that could have tied the game, uh, but Teddy Bridgewater underthrew the ball a bit. So he is a target, and, and I think the hope there is that, A, uh, the game against the Steelers was sort of a momentum play for him that he's going to be able to capitalize on, and B, Vic Fangio is kind of banging the hammer and saying, listen, I, I, this is not like a suggestion <laughs> for you guys. We'd have to get Cortland Sutton uh, involved more in the game plan. So to me, if I was a fantasy owner of Sutton, I'd be a little bit, I'd be encouraged by what happened Sunday. Again, not just because of the performance, um, but also because uh, of Fangio's seeming, um, you know, message of this is our guy. And then, you know, every week he gets more comfortable, gets further away from that ACL injury is, is a good thing as well. All right, week six against the Raiders. Actually, the Broncos' first uh, division game of the season coming up against the Raiders. What are your early expectations for this matchup? Yeah, you know, this, this it's interesting because this is a must-win game for both teams, obviously, and the Raiders, as we know, are, are um, they've got a lot more than just the game on their mind after John Gruden was fired on Monday night. Um, you know, uh, abruptly, this was a team that was 3-0 and just, uh, you know, 10 or uh, two weeks ago, and, and now they're dealing with all this. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I think it's probably going to be a lower scoring game. Uh, in my estimation, the Broncos have had a real hard time the last couple of weeks getting after the passer. And so I do think that that's going to be a priority for them. Uh, we've seen teams last couple of weeks, bring some pressure on Derek Carr and, and that's produced some, some low scoring results for the Raiders. I think that's going to be more of what Denver does. Um, yeah. And I, I'd expect a, a low scoring game, even though obviously the Raiders are capable, uh, offensively of putting up some big numbers, uh, that's kind of my first thought is this is going to be kind of a, a, a lower scoring kind of grinded out game uh, until the fourth quarter. And, you know, if I if I had players on this team, that's sort of how I would, um, you know, approach it. Uh, and certainly the other thing to keep in mind is that the Broncos have had had a real issue with Darren Waller in the past, uh, as most teams have. Uh, but they face him twice a year and still don't have seem to have had a lot of answers. I will say Denver's doing a much better job so far this season against tight ends. Uh, but they haven't seen a guy two two Wallers, um, you know, kind of level at this point. So that that's a key matchup to watch. All right, certainly one that we will be watching and one we'll be paying attention to all week here. That is Nick Cosminer, Denver Broncos beat writer at the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Cosminer. Nick, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
All right, one more beat writer to talk to here on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and we go to a team that is definitely having a little bit of change at the quarterback position, Seattle Seahawks and our Seahawks beat writer, Michael Sean Dugar. Michael, thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for having me. What up, man? Hey, man, let's uh, let's just dive right in. Let's get into it. Obviously, major change coming here. Russell Wilson going to be out for the foreseeable future. Geno Smith taking over as the starter. Let's just start with the offense as a whole. Do they have to change the stripes? Or I guess maybe the better question is how significantly do they or can they change the stripes of the offense going from Russell to Geno? Um, I think you... W- there's two things that I anticipate um, happening with Gino under center. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm speculating just because mm-hmm. we haven't seen Gino under center, right? Like that's just not a thing we're used to in Seattle is seeing anyone other than number three play quarterback for this team. So there's two things I anticipate. Um, the, Russ was pretty high, I think, in average depth at target, I'm pretty sure. Like pretty much top three guy, I'm pretty sure. Um, air yards per target, stuff like that. He's letting it fly. I don't know if we'll see the same rate from Geno. Not to say Geno can't throw the ball far. I just don't. He's just not as good at it as Russ, which is fine because most people in the world aren't as good at it as Russ. <laughs> so even with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, I, I could, I could see someone like Tyler's average uh, air yards and stuff like that take a dip, even if his targets are relatively the same. The other thing is, I could see Geno being a, a bit more of a runner than Russ, which is crazy to think because Russ used to be like part of the run game very similarly to how like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson are built into their run games Russ was that way running the zone read with Marshawn but if you look at it now he doesn't really run uh, design runs at all pretty much if there's a zone read that that linebacker could be on Chris Carson's butt at the point of attack and he's still going to hand it off Gino took one he kept one his first I don't know first or second drive on Thursday night so I could see Gino being more of a runner uh, specifically in short yardage situations and on the goal line because, you know, he's a pretty athletic cat. The assumption in the fantasy world is that, you know, it's exactly based on what you said. Russell Wilson, one of the best deep ball throwers in the league. He and Tyler Lockett have a special connection on deep balls. So the assumption in the fantasy world is that if either of these big-time receivers who – doesn't matter who the quarterback is, you're absolutely starting. But if either of them is hurt more than the other, it's Lockett more than DK, you think that holds water? Um, no, I do think that you're going to see, I think this is the time to probably maybe get invested in like some of the target distribution might be a little bit more spread out um, Mm -hmm. now just because you look at where Gino attacked the field against the Rams and was like smooth over the middle, you know, it was like DK over the middle, Will Disley over the middle, Um, you know, the screen game magically started working when uh, Gino came in, Alex Collins had a 20 yarder beating the blitz. Um, and mm-hmm. some of that is the Rams defense. It kind of opens the middle of the field because of those two high safety looks. But um, when you're – I think that's where – how do I want to do this without offending Geno? The way that the offense is constructed, it's kind of built for a quarterback who needs a little bit more hand-holding than a Russell. Right? You know what I mean? Like that's why it works right, for like a right. Jared Goff. Or that's why you see certain offense working for like a, a Matt Ryan or a Kirk Cousins. Because if you just say, hey, man – I'm going to make this real simple for you. You don't have to do nothing extra. Throw it right here where I say They can do it, right? And it's usually right over the middle where there's, like, the, the greatest field to work with, not necessarily outside the numbers. Whereas with Russ, it's like, well, I can sling this thing 60 yards if you want. And it's like, well, I'm not asking you to do that. And then he does all that backyard stuff. Um, so you might see Will Disley's uh, production get an uptick 
Uh, DK is definitely going to be DK. Like Gino's no dummy. He gets in the he got in the game on Thursday. First thing he did was throw it at DK with Jalen Ramsey all over him, right? Because he was like, I got number fourteen. Um, so I think uh, I don't know if anyone's going to sacrifice necessarily because I think they're going to have to do a lot of throwing because the defense isn't very good. Uh, yeah, but yeah. where the targets hit is going to change, and I think if if that's advantageous for anyone, it's probably the guys over the middle, like the tight ends, Gerald Everett and Will Disley. Yeah, let's talk about this defense for a second here because uh, fantasy managers absolutely loving seeing their offensive players go up against this defense right now. We've seen, you know, the Vikings put up a big game against this team. The Titans had probably their best game top to bottom of the season against this Seattle defense. I, I mean, is it going to be a free-for-all all season long against these guys? Or is there something here that they can turn around and, you know, I mean, we saw it last year, right? A second-half defense that performed a lot better than what they did in the first half. Can they do something similar this season? Um, I, I think so. Would, from a fantasy standpoint, I think the only thing that's like seems to like it would take a dip is how well quarterbacks are doing. I think that I think is going to probably be unsustainable just because there's so many passing yards are given up and quarter and quarterbacks aren't turning it over. I think Seattle only has three turnovers um, in five games, which is one of the lower marks in the league. They're about middle of the pack and forcing punts. Um, so quarterbacks are just letting it fly and scoring points. So I think that probably has – that's due for some regression, I think. Like teams aren't just going to average 400 yards passing uh, against them. So you, especially when they get their pass rush fixed a little bit, start blitzing Jamal Adams more, you'll probably see more negative plays, which – sacks, fumbles, turnovers, you know, what have you. So I think that's due for a little bit of regression. But skill, skill position players, I think that might hold pretty steady. Um, even in some games where they were really good defensively, like I, look, I think about like the Giants game last year, they lost, but they were really solid defensively. They gave up like ten points. I think like Wayne Gallman had like 130 yards or something like that, right? And they and they lost. They beat the Vikings last year. I think Alex Madison ran for like a 112 or something. So like they can mm-hmm. still win games and fix their defense, so to speak, while individual skill guys still having uh, b- big numbers. I think that that's going to still be a, a thing with running backs, perhaps tight ends, uh, maybe definitely some receivers as long as the cornerback situation is in flux. But if anything regresses, I would guess that it's negative plays by the quarterback start to increase just because of this, like I said, it's unsustainable to expect every passer against the Seahawks to just throw for like 350 at minimum. That's just not, even though it's a passing league, that's just not how this is going to go. Yeah, probably not going to be a situation where every single quarterback turns into Patrick Mahomes when uh, he plays the Seahawks. So reason, reason to certainly think that that balances out a little bit. Let's talk about the backfield here for a second. We know Chris Carson is dealing with this neck injury. He missed the Week 4 game against the Rams. Uh, what can you tell us about his status for uh, Week 6 against the Steelers? Obviously, it's just Tuesday morning as you and I are recording this, so don't expect you to have uh, all the answers here. But what can you just tell us about him this week, him the rest of the season, and how Alex Collins fits in alongside Carson when he is back? Uh, yeah, I mean, when Chris is healthy, which I presume him to be, Pete Carroll on Monday sounded really upbeat about Chris's neck, and I think someone asked, you know, how's he doing? And he was like, yeah, you know, real real big turn over the weekend. And big turns kind of, uh, it could be ominous depending on the tone. So I clarified with Pete. I was like, big turn in a positive way, right? And he was like, yeah, no, for sure. He was like, I wouldn't have said it like that if it was a big turn negatively. So um, that's that's good for Chris. Sounds like he'll practice on uh, Wednesday. And if you practice Wednesday, that's usually good for you practicing and playing the rest of the week and the upcoming Sunday. Uh, if, but I think Alex Collins has shown enough to suggest, like, man, you don't need to take the ball out of that dude's hand. He's very good, has very good feet. I mean, he 
He's shifty, like, laterally, and then he can spin. Doesn't run over a lot of guys, but, I mean, if you can just make a dude miss however you go about it, you know, in the most efficient way, which is probably running around him, I mean, you should be on the field. He can catch. Like I said, the screen game works um, with him. So I think it's still Chris Carson's backfield. They're they're more like a, I think of who's like a workhorse guy. It's more Derrick Henry than Zeke. You know, with in terms of their game plan, they come in with like, Chris is our guy, and if he needs a breather, we put in a guy. Whereas sounds like Dallas is trying to split the thing up a little bit more evenly because uh, they realize Tony's a good player. I don't think Seattle's getting to that place quite yet. Now they could, like that's on the horizon. So I think Chris's fantasy value might start to dip the more Alex Collins plays and plays well. But for now, when Chris is healthy, he's the guy. Week six, Sunday night football, this team going up against the Steelers. Safe to say that uh, the schedulers and certainly the NBC execs thought they were getting a slightly different matchup in this game when this was set back in the offseason. What are your early expectations for this matchup between these two teams on Sunday? Yeah, I I think this is where both offensive coordinators are going to make their money because you've got some limited passers in this. And Geno is an interesting one because like turnovers just tend to find him. And I don't it like it wasn't his fault the the interception against the Rams. I mean his receiver fell, and you look at the all twenty two version of it. Tyler probably makes that catch unless Jalen Ramsey just makes the best play of the year. I'm not kidding. It would have had to have been a, a spectacular play to come underneath that and take it away from Lockett. But I mean, Geno does have more career interceptions um, than touchdowns, right? And that's what I mean by interceptions just tend to find him, even if they're not his fault. They, if they happen, they happen. The other team doesn't care whose fault it is, right? So, and then Big Ben's arm is a noodle, uh, and he's losing skill position players left and right. I think what Juju's probably on IR by the time this this comes yeah. out. So, uh, like that's that's already a problem with a dude who I thought's arm was shot in 2019 when they played these guys, and I was in Pittsburgh. You know, a few years later, I don't know how they're still doing that. So, I think both OCs have their work cut out for them. Both teams are probably going to want to protect their guys as much as they can, uh, get the ball out quick. It wouldn't surprise me to see both teams coming out trying to establish the hell out of the run, you know, all the coaching cliches, because they know that, like, if if they they probably feel comfortable with their guy winning with their arm, but they know they don't want to have to do that. Because even though both defenses have their deficiencies, um, I think Steelers more is in the pass game than the run game. Both defenses have their deficiencies, but the, both defensive coordinators will very much enjoy having the other guy's passer have to drop back 40 times and try to beat them. So... The OC that helps their guy the most, maybe the quarterback's coach as well on each team, whoever helps their guy the most is going to win this game because we could see a scenario where Geno is the better quarterback on Sunday night. It's a whole new world for the Seahawks without Russell Wilson and with Geno Smith in there, and we get our first real look at that world on Sunday night against the Steelers. We know you'll be all over it all week. That's Michael Sean Dugar, our Seahawks beat writer here at The Athletic. Mike, thanks again for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. We now turn away from our beat writers and back to a pure fantasy discussion on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to talk some waivers for the next 10 minutes or so. To do that, Brandon Funston joins me. Funston, what's up, my man? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. That was quite a game on Monday night. Uh, Just coming off of that, I needed Lamar Jackson to get me some points. I thought he was going to easily do it for me, but I had to wait all the way to the fourth quarter to get it done. So, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm ready for week six. Yeah, me too, man. Let me tell you something. I had, uh, I was like Mr. Cool. I was like, nope. 
fading the Vikings in Survivor, fading the Patriots, not going to take either <laughs> of those teams, going to hope for some upsets there, going to use a little on the Cowboys. I've used the Buccaneers in some spots. Ravens are the team I'll fall back on, and I wrote it off as a loss. Like like an hour, 90 minute halftime, it's like, all right, well, uh, at least I've got some other survivors available, but uh, those Ravens ones are going down. And then Lamar brings us back from the brink. So love seeing that go down. Was very happy with that comeback, certainly uh, in a uh, selfish sense, for sure. Sorry to any of you Colts fans out there who were uh, thinking you were coming away with a much needed victory against the Ravens. <laughs> Let's talk some waivers here, Funston. We did it on Monday's show, but now, uh, again, 24 hours later, we've got a little bit more information. I do want to start, though, in case anyone missed Monday's show with the same question I put to you yesterday. Your number one player on waivers, regardless of position, just any guy, any spot, who's that first guy you're going after this week? Well, I mean, I know in Yahoo leagues, Kadarius Tony, 17% rostered. I look at the guy convinced me. I was, I didn't think he was much of a someone to even think about for this season. In the last two weeks, I'm like, okay, I, I see what there was the rumblings in preseason about why they liked this guy and in during the draft, why people talked about him, you know, and him moving up into the first round, which is what happened. And it's like, wow, okay. I hadn't I hadn't really done a lot of background on Kadarius Tony as far as watching what he did at Florida and all that. And I'm like, okay, this guy looks like he's here to stay. You can't take him out of that lineup. So um and I think as I said in our in our pod yesterday, it's like what are the odds of all the Giants receivers being healthy in the same week anyways? So there's gonna be an opportunity for him going forward, I believe, every week. And it's gotta be Darius Slayton's the odd man out, right? I mean he like if an if a scenario does happen where they're healthy, then it's gotta be Slayton who's getting squeezed. Yeah, and I think I was heartened by the fact, you know, we were wondering, okay, if, if Sterling Shepard, like, is Kadarius Tony really going to just run, like, pretty much in the slot, which was a lot of the talk, and, oh, that would be, you know, in conflict with Sterling Shepard, but he ran almost all of his routes on the outside and looked great doing, and I think, yeah, Darius Slayton would probably be the guy that squeezed if they are all healthy. It just feels that way, certainly, and you definitely can't get Tony out of there with that 10 for 189 after what he did in week four as well. It feels like he has bullied his way into this lineup for sure, regardless of who is healthy and when they're healthy. So he's definitely a guy who's going to be toward the top of the list, no matter if you feel like you need wide receivers or not. Most of the guys that we're looking at, though, are at the running back position. We've got Devontae Booker likely filling in for a week or two in place of an injured um, Saquon Barkley. We've got Daryl Williams likely filling in for a couple of weeks uh, in place of an injured Clyde Edwards-Alaire, although Jarek McKinnon is going to be in the mix there. Alex Collins could be still getting some run if Chris Carson is missing more time for the Seahawks, although that now means playing in an offense captain by Geno Smith and not by Russell Wilson. When you look at the running back group, who jumps out at you most? Who are you going to be putting the biggest bid in on? Um, I, You know, I, I think you're playing some of these as, uh, you know, just for the next two to three to four weeks, depending on the situation. I think Daryl Williams is kind of like he is the, you know, he's this week's Damian Williams where you get a running back in front of him that has a similar injury, similar timeline, four to five weeks, maybe possibly six capped or, you know, in a, in a good offense. Yes. Jarek McKinnon will be mixed in, but we know Daryl Williams will get the goal line carries. He'll get more volume now than he was getting. I just think Daryl Williams is the place to go. You might be able to get more out of a Devonte Booker on a one or two week you know, basis, but to get Daryl Williams in an elevated role for the next month to a month and a half, that's probably where I am leaning. All that said, if I didn't need someone for this week, I think it's Jeff Wilson who is uh, on mm -hmm. by for the 49ers. You look back to what he did last year. He was a top five running back in the final month of the season last year. We know Kyle Shanahan loves him. We know no one is really kind of just 
just put their stamp on this backfield between Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon. It's been more Elijah Mitchell, but you could really imagine that you know Jeff Wilson could come back and be the lead of a yeah. platoon for the 49ers down the stretch. So he's if I didn't need someone right away, it's probably Jeff Wilson. Leaving Jeff Wilson aside for a second, because I do think I, I'm in agreement with you. If I'm not in, in immediate need, he's my favorite guy out of this group. But leaving him aside for a second, I, I think I'm with you in that Daryl Williams would be the first guy I would go after. Devontae Booker's definitely got some immediate value, but you know maybe Mike Glennon's leading that team next week, and then maybe Saquon's back the week after that. Excuse me. So you know there's some reason to be you know a little bearish on Booker. I don't think though, even if we're going after Daryl Williams, and even if we're going to say that Ceh is going to miss a month. I don't think he gets or he warrants anywhere near the bids we were talking about for Damian Williams a week ago. It's just it just feels like a different situation, a lesser player, a muddier situation. Like I'm still being pretty reserved with my bids. I'm okay losing Daryl Williams if I don't get him. Yeah, it's probably it's probably like Jarek McKinnon is uh, the Khalil Herbert of this week as well, and but he might be a bigger foil. You know, I, I think we're we're potentially going to see a lot more uh, Jarek McKinnon now and. Um, yeah, so I kind of agree. Plus, the Chiefs, we know that they're willing to forget their backfield completely at times, you know, and that's uh, that's always the worry here. So, um, yeah, and honestly, Monday night has me thinking, like, again, like, we're putting aside Jeff Wilson. The other future spec play here is Marlon Mack. Uh, he looked good enough to me on Monday night that if someone throws out a bid to bring him in to be their guy, I, I could be pretty interested in Marlon Mack as well, but... Um, are but you saying like? As, are you saying like the like someone trades for Marlon Mack? Yeah, I mean, I've that's been the that's been the narrative that they've been showcasing him for you know specifically that reason. And there's no you know there's no shortage of people that kind of could use running back help right now, be it someone to come in and immediately be their number one, or someone to come in and at least help out and be a, a platoon player in their backfield. So another running back to consider and file away. But just back to your point, I agree. This is not. Daryl Williams is not a one-for-one one with Damian Williams last week in terms of what you should go out and pay for. And in that way, I think this is another one of the sort of relaxed bid weeks, right? I mean, there yeah. are guys to go after. I'm, I, I'll put in claims for Tony where he's available. I'll put in claims for Williams. He's going to be available in plenty of spots. Booker's going to be almost universally available. I'll put in claims for him. But, like, there's no one here who I feel like I absolutely have to have. And that was – that you know, that's not been the case. I felt that way about Damian Williams last week. I even felt, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, even though we knew it wasn't going to be a super long situation, like I wanted Chuba Hubbard more than I want Daryl Williams right now or more than I want Devontae Booker. It's just not a week where I'm going to go too crazy. And I feel like like Jeff Wilson, I'm with you. I think there's a long-term play to be had here, but you probably don't need to go crazy for Jeff Wilson in most leagues. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of almost like I'm I'm going for him in one of one or two of my leagues and uh you know I don't want that I don't want the discussion about Jeff Wilson to really kind of bubble up too strongly <laughs> this week <laughs> at least not until Thursday, you know. I won't tweet um, I won't tweet out this episode until uh, until tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, yes, we'll yes. Hold on to it but, until, until um, uh, waivers <laughs> process for sure. But I agree. I think it's a it's a good contingency week. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to just That's throw exactly out a, a huge yeah, you're just lining up your contingency bids, and you're hoping to get one of the three or four that you might throw out there. So, uh, I think Ramondre Stevenson fits in there as well. I yep. mean, we talked about Damian Harris on yesterday's episode, and we all came away saying we're not really concerned about him losing the job because of a couple of fumbles. But he, de Ramondre Stevenson, definitely looks as though he would step right into the Damian Harris role should Damian Harris get injured. So I think that's enough too, in you know maybe slightly deeper leagues to make him someone who you just throw on the back 
back end of your bench, and if Damian Harris stays healthy, you never use him. But if Damian Harris gets hurt, then Stevenson could step in and be someone who you lean on a little bit with these bye weeks starting this week. Yeah, don't disagree. I mean, I, obviously, it's a small sample size. He didn't look, he didn't do anything in his, in his, you know, plugging in for Damian Harris last week. He kind of looked like a football Frankenstein, just kind of running into the middle of right. the line there. But we saw him in preseason. There was definitely some splash appeal to him. Then, maybe just like I said, a small sample size. I think he as a potential to take over for Damian Harris if something were to happen to Harris, I agree. He would be look at we know New England loves to lean on that backfield and guys are dropping there. So it's it's really like kind of a last man standing if it gets to him. If you're playing the tight end roulette game, Dan Arnold, David and Joku, either of those guys jump out at you. We did have Zach Jackson on the episode earlier saying that he does think there's an opportunity here for Njoku to uh, step up and secure some sort of larger role of the uh, Cleveland passing game. I think on a week-to-week consistency basis, I'm going to go with Dan Arnold. I, I, I feel like the narrative will always be that there's volume uh, potential for for the Jaguars week in and week out. He steps in in his first full game, gets eight targets, leads the team easily. And, you know, and what, what was it, like three days after they traded for him, they put him in kind of, and he got yeah. two big catches sort of big in the second half of that game. So right away, it kind of felt like, okay, he was targeted for a reason, and we were already seeing that play out. With Njoku, we've had Two really good games, two almost nothing games. And if you look back mm-hmm. to last week, that touchdown, that long touchdown, which was the bulk of his – of his, you know, I know he, he did have a few other catches, but the bulk of his production came off of the guy just went for the ball and, and then wasn't able to, to wrap him up, you know, and, and it turned into a big, long touchdown for Njoku. But it was sort of fluky in a way. Yeah, I think the, the case for Njoku is built on – Odell still being a ghost in this offense, and this is a team that does a ton of 12 personnel. Maybe they lean on some of the other tight ends to block a little bit more, and he can get you know a, a target and a half, two targets more per game going forward. But even that feels a little flimsy and maybe something you'd rather see before you actually believe yourself. But uh, it's going to be a week where uh, it's running back dominated on the waiver wire and guys who you're really not going too crazy for. There are going to be weeks like that all season long, and this definitely is one of them. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks to all of our beat writers for joining us earlier today. Zach Jackson, Nick Kosminer, and Michael Sean Dugar. Brandon Funston, always a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll be talking to you again on Thursday. We'll be talking to you all on Thursday. Nando DeFino, Chris Vaccaro, Brandon Marianne Lee, they take over the show tomorrow on a Wednesday. Good luck in all of your uh, free agent bidding. Hope you get the guys who you are going after. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a great day.